This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's a great day to be saving money or using technology uh, or living a sustainable life or even eating chili. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters, and yes, we're going to start out talking about chili today. I don't know if you've got a favorite chili recipe. You could hit us up on Twitter at Tim Eccles or or at Matters Radio. In the studio with me, of course, as always, my producer, Logan Booker. Hey, Logan. Hey, Tim. And Casey Boyce, my co-host today. Casey. Hey, Tim. You guys like chili? We do. We're um, not big cooking, uh, but we love eating. Yeah. It's if you look at me, you you instantly know I love to eat, and chili's one of the top of the list. I yeah, love and, it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and Logan, you know I love that varsity chili dog. And, oh yes. And anytime I eat there and I'm coming here, I always bring you it, a couple. I always look forward to these recording sessions strictly because I get my Chili cheese dog from the varsity with pimento cheese. Yeah, yeah, which is my secret. So th- that's Tim, right. You've never brought yeah. me a chili cheese dog. <laughs> okay, is that what you like? Do you like chili no. cheese? I thought you were an avocado toast kind of a guy. Oh, no. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> no, no, my daughter loves avocado toast. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I am entering a chili cooking contest, and I've got to prepare this chili. I've got a recipe that. Hopefully it's going to be a winner. It's got a little bit of a bite to it. It's got a little rotel, got a little jalapeno, but it's got it's got uh, a steak in it as well as ground beef. Uh, so it's got it's a long list of ingredients. So I I hope it's going to be a winner. Logan, uh, you've got some experience with chili contests, don't you? Or your wife does? Yeah, my wife and I, we own some property in Lincoln County out near Augusta. It's part of a, a sort of gated community. A lot of people out on the lake, and we have an annual chili cookoff. And my wife is just flat out, I'll just tell on her, she's not a big cook, not really into the whole, you know, come up with my own recipes and all. So we had this cook-off annually. Tim, she Googles chili recipe, just the simplest words you could put into Google. The very first thing that comes up, she says, fine, we'll go with that. Well, Tim, she won the chili cook-off based on uh, whatever she made, so... Whatever she found was a pretty good recipe. Apparently, that sounds like sounds like a keeper. I I'll let you know. There's ten people in this contest, so I'll let you know uh, at some point uh, on Twitter if you follow me at Tim Eccles how I do, and uh, and, and show you a picture of of my crock pot full well, of good chili. luck. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see see how that goes. Well, uh, Casey, great having you back on the show. We great to be here. We talk about a lot of different energy. Uh, alternatives, and you really have had an opportunity to experiment with these. Give us a little bit of your pedigree, uh, you know, when it comes to using energy, alternative, electric vehicles, that kind of thing, so our audience will kind of understand where you're coming from. Sure thing. So uh, I have been very interested in energy just personally for a long time, have been driving an electric vehicle since 2014. Uh, and in fact, my household is an all EV household. Uh, about two years after uh, I got my first EV, uh, my wife owned a, a Volkswagen diesel and it was bought back at a very uh, nice price by Volkswagen as part of their cheating scandal. And she said, I want an EV. So we now have two EVs and have had two EVs since 2000, well, late 2015. Um, We also have solar on the house. So I was very involved in a program down in uh, the DeKalb County area outside of Atlanta called Solarized Decatur DeKalb. Uh, We, I think, sextupled the amount of rooftop solar in DeKalb County through that program. We put solar on my roof. uh, uh, my wife and I participated in the program. Uh, so we've had solar there since I think we turned it on the very last day of 2016, if I've got that right. We flipped the switch so we could get the tax credit in 2016. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have experimented with other smart home things, smart thermostats and, and things like that, and uh, uh, very um, involved in that kind of thing professionally as well, working with utilities across the country. Yeah, so part of what you do with utilities is you – 
do you do you gather the data or do you just analyze it? Where what what service do you yes. provide? Both? So uh, so we do both. So we basically what I do in my day job, I run a large syndicated customer experience study for utilities. So we go and talk to customers of the 140 largest utilities across the country, electric and natural gas. Uh, we talk to about 60,000 people over the last year uh, and just understand how satisfied they are with their utility, um, what their brand perceptions are of the utility, and when they're using products and services from the utility, kind of what that looks like. And so, you know, we really focus a lot on customers' experience in working with clients. We uh, focus a lot on uh, marketing as well as innovation and how do you take some of the things that people want, like solar or electric vehicles, and help utilities turn it into something that they can, can actually have a business around. We've got a couple of sponsors that I'm very familiar with because I've worked with them for, for many years. I mean, Velo Solar is, you know, doing medium and large-scale uh, stuff. And you think about uh, a medium-scale project maybe being, what would you think, uh, up to about 2 megawatts of power? Sure, yeah. Uh, and then a large-scale project being between 2 and, you know, 200 megawatts? Yeah, a couple hundred, yeah. yeah. And so we've got some very large-scale projects, and it's, uh, it's, it's quite different as you plan out something that's large-scale versus a rooftop. Kind of explain the difference between some of the, the factors that go into how you think about that. Yeah, so when you're looking at the large scale, that's really like more traditional utility generation. Um, so you need to think about, you know, what does the demand look like? How does it kind of play into that and then how do you get the power from where it's being produced to where it, it is being used so um, you know is there transmission nearby right you, you don't want to have to build a lot of new transmission lines or a lot of new infrastructure to do what's called interconnecting those projects um, and you know one of the things that we've seen a lot of looking at the market across the country and I think this is starting to happen in Georgia as well is that a lot of these large-scale um, uh, solar plants the developers are actually putting in utility scale batteries and they're doing that because you know, clouds cross over the solar panels and the utility needs the energy. So they like to be able to backfill that with batteries. Um, so there's really a lot of complex engineering that goes into those large scale uh, solar projects. If you're looking at something that's smaller scale, um, you know, it may be more distributed. So it could be something that's on the roof of a, a you know, a warehouse or another commercial facility. Um, it could be something that, you know, we didn't talk small scale, but it could be a couple kilowatts on top of someone's roof. Um, those still certainly require some engineering to put in, uh, but it's a lot less um, complicated in terms of figuring out, you know, kind of what is the utility infrastructure there in terms of interconnecting, getting that power uh, to the end user. So the IKEA Distribution Center, folks know the IKEA Furniture uh, brand, uh, uh, I guess from Sweden. Uh, down in Savannah, they have a very large distribution center. I think they have a full megawatt of solar on there, about six acres. So would that be considered small or medium? It'd probably be a medium-sized. But again, they're probably using most of that on site. So really all they needed to do is figure out, you know, does the roof support the load of the extra solar panels? Most likely, yes, um, for most commercial facilities. Uh, and, you know, how much energy do we use and, and sort of what's the offset from the solar we're going to produce? One of the things that came up in our integrated resource planning, and this is a, a, a legislatively mandated function that we do at the Public Service Commission that we do every three years, was we had some testimony from some solar experts that talked about uh, farms in South Georgia that used an irrigation pivot. Mm -hmm. And if you've traveled through farmland, you may have seen these irrigation. They're, you know, they, they, they move. Uh, they move on a pivot uh, and they have tires on them and they're going through the field and they're, uh, they're, they're basically going in a big circle. Um, but a lot of the fields are actually squares. Right. And so there was something called dry corners. Mm -hmm. And the idea was put forward by these, uh, by these medium-scale solar developers that these dry corners could be an opportunity for a farmer to be able to put solar in those corners that's not affected by the irrigation pivot and receive some additional revenue that might offset a bad year of farming. Absolutely. 
we have done some research for renewables developers, uh, not in Georgia, uh, but elsewhere in the country. And farmers love renewables, whether it's solar or windmills, exactly for that reason. I mean, they're going to get a very reliable stream of cash flow. Uh, so if you've got a bad growing season or something else goes on, it's it's a financial backstop. And, and for them, it uses land that otherwise may not be uh, usable. Um, and, and I will tell you, that idea of using the dry corners, I've talked to some of our clients elsewhere in the country about doing that. And there's some interest in in taking that idea that, that y'all talked about at the commission and doing it in other parts of the country. You know, one of the other things that we've gotten some criticism for as we put uh, a lot of solar in middle and south Georgia is that we're taking agricultural land uh, essentially out of the breadbasket production mm-hmm. and we're doing something with it that's not, that's not enhancing of the ag economy. And so there's been talk about, well, you could do pollinator flowers in between the rows and essentially kind of give back to the ag community that way. What, sure. What, is there merit to this idea that you don't want to take a lot of land out of agricultural use, or is it not that big of concern? Um, well, I, I will say I'm not an agricultural expert, so others may correct me on this, but at least from what I've seen, it doesn't seem to be a big, big deal. So um, you're talking about solar elsewhere in the country, you know, the middle part of the country, you've got windmills and those don't take up a whole lot of land. So it's really not taking that much productive farmland out. Um, you know, if you're using the dry corners like you're talking about, it's not being used anyway. Um, if you're looking at land that otherwise could be productive farmland, um, the, the estimates that I've seen have, have said that we really don't need a huge percentage of the land mass in this country to generate all of our power renewably. Now, there are other issues with that. Certainly, but just doing the straight math on on how much generation that that you need, um, we'd still have plenty of of land to grow what we need to eat. Well, wherever you're at in Georgia, and our show is now going all over the state, we would love to hear your opinion on this. Uh, if you want to just hit us up at Twitter, I'm at Tim Eccles. Our show's at Matters Radio. Casey, you're at I'm at Casey Boyce, and Logan uh, is at Logan Booker, I believe, uh, uh, on 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 Twitter. It's uh, Logan M. Logan Gotta throw that M in there. Who is Uh, Logan Booker? I have no idea. (laughs) He's our producer. Well, stick around. Uh, We've got more energy conversation coming up. You're listening to Energy Matters. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to gemcarservice.com. That's G-E-M, carservice.com. John, one of our sponsors for the show, Row Insulating Company, is doing a great job in and around Athens being able to do a lot of what we talk about every single week on the show. Every time it gets cold, every time it gets hot, it's always a, it's always that attic that's the problem. And uh, you could tack windows, and that's going to cost you a cold fortune. It is insulation that can solve the problem. Hey, if you want to get this fixed, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Row Insulating Company. Row. This half hour of Energy Matters is brought to you by Arnold Golden Gregory, an AmLaw 200 law firm with 165 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. Arnold Golden Gregory subscribes to the belief, not if, but how. Good guys over there, John Gornall, really from the beginning, I can remember getting elected, sitting at a Georgia Solar Christmas party, December of 2010, next to John Gornall. And uh, and John Gornall really has been so helpful to me in my own personal development and understanding solar, the issues surrounding it, other other environmental issues because i think part of the challenge for elected officials is just getting up to speed so that you understand these topics how they impact people and some of the things aren't even very partisan or political they're they they seem almost neutral and they're very technical right right? because technology i think technology is amoral i don't i don't think technology is good or bad sure uh it's just a matter of, of of using it in a way that makes sense yeah and so you know, for things like solar, 
I know I know that there are people that try to turn something like solar into a moral issue. And I've just kind of pushed back against that. Hey, we'll do it if we can, if it makes sense, when we can, where we can. Let's thoroughly evaluate everything because what we don't want, Casey, is to have a situation comes up where we have to backtrack or change the policy or because we've made a mistake in the way that we've dealt with it. I, I, I want to do it in a way that is sustainable, that will you know, that will go the distance. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I think people make decisions from different mindsets, right? I mean, that's, that's part of what our research shows, right? People value different things, but in terms of public policy, and you've got to set that for everyone, right? As, as a commissioner, you really have to take in a lot of different lenses to, to figure it out. You can't come at it from just one where you're going to, you're going to miss something that's out there that's valuable to folks. And I try to, I try to tell people, when I go to town halls and I make myself very available to people, even on, you know, even on social media, just searching for complaints, I'll search for Georgia PSC and see what people are saying. And if they, uh, if, if, if they are saying something negative, I normally try to reach out to them. If they're not following me or, or, or friends with me on Facebook, I will just send them a direct message there in public and say, Hey, follow me and let's have a conversation you know offline i'll call them talk to them try to see you know what is the nature of the person's complaint and is it legitimate have they misunderstood something or have i misunderstood something Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes it does involve calling the utility and saying look i need you to reach back out to this person and and have a conversation with them and it it almost becomes like i'm a referee Uh, i'm an I'm, i'm helping to kind of arbitrate this sure uh and and i just kind of i kind of view it as just helping one person at a time you know get back in a good place where they feel like they've been heard they've been made whole if they've been harmed uh and you know going forward you know they have a you know a a more positive outlook towards an elected official well that's that's fantastic and and you know tim i've got a a lot of respect for you in the way that you you know approach your public service so how do people get in touch with you if they they want to get in touch yeah if i if i if you're complaining out there i may actually find you (laughs) uh, but i mean clearly folks go to the public service commission website and they can email any of the commissioners from there and i'll I'll get some of that. Sometimes they just call our general mailbox and leave a voicemail, not really knowing who to call. Uh, other times they're maybe on social media. They run across something on one of my Instagram posts or Facebook, usually Twitter. Folks usually don't complain on Instagram or LinkedIn that much. But occasionally I'll have someone you know, send me a message just right there for everybody to see, oh, I hate the power company or I hate the you know, cable company or whatever, because they're doing this or that. They, you know, they took advantage of me here or there. And I'm, you always have to get more information, kind of drill down uh, with them to find out, okay, what's the circumstances around it? So I'll get them to give me the account number. I'll get, I'll have the company do some research. And then, uh, and, and normally the, the utility likes to contact them. These utilities are very consumer centric they want to please people yeah uh, and then i'll circle back as well and say hey this is what i discovered and sometimes they're just unhappy with the general system right well, and they say you know i should be able to buy my power from whoever i want well i can't change that yeah right that 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 that's something embedded in law and so sometimes i can't wave a magic wand and fix it other times i can well and, and tim i've heard you say something that that probably bears uh, repeating for the benefit of, of our listeners this morning which is that you know even if you're not angry at the utility engage in the public process i mean y- y'all make some some very significant decisions down there at the public service commission and i've heard you welcome people you know coming in and telling you guys what is it that they're thinking about how you know how are their lives being impacted what should the regulatory uh, structure look like what should happen with a, a you know a topic that's there so um you know i i found you to be incredibly open and i think the other commissioners are too and it's it's an elected position right that's right yeah we have to run for office every six years most states appoint have the governor appoint their public service commission or public utility commissioners georgia is one of 11 states uh, that elect and so that does put a little more obligation on our part to be out there listening traveling uh, as i tell people my car is really my office i'm i'm in that car way more 
uh, than than I'm in my office. But I, as I did recently with a group of students at both uh, University of North Georgia and Kennesaw, uh, you know, I talk about the importance of having a civil conversation. There's just no need to name call and be ugly as you're trying to communicate your point. It's not as effective. Absolutely. Uh, and, and people may think it's effective. They may, you know, I, oh, I saw a news clip and I saw this group blocking the street or doing that. Well, look, you know, it that, it, that may have worked for that particular moment. But as a kind of a lifelong learning skill, hey, you need to develop relationships with these elected officials, starting with your own city council person, your mayor, your county commissioner. And you develop a relationship with people when there's no crisis. Don't wait until you've got a, this major problem to introduce yourself to the official. Uh, just go ahead and, you know, and... You know, someone gets elected, send them a congratulatory email. Whether you like them or not, know them, they're in your same party, doesn't matter. Just send them a congratulatory email, let them know who you are, uh, and they'll probably send you something back thanking you and saying, I'm at your service if I can ever help. Yeah. Well, and, and I will say, you know, one of the things that I love about Georgia is the way that we do politics pragmatically. We think about what's right for the state, and people do engage across party lines and across different perspectives, generally pretty respectfully. And that's something that's unique to a lot of the other states that I have exposure to in my work, certainly different to, to what's going on at the national level. So um, I, I think a lot of folks take that to heart, and, and thank you. There's so much contention in Washington. You turn on, I don't care what cable channel it is, but it, you know they these stations oftentimes make their money uh, around conflict and and contention and fighting. And for me, I'm trying to solve problems. So I'm trying to move our state forward in a constructive way. And I don't know, uh, you know, the best way to do that. And I've had plenty of help from people that have you know, taking me by the hand and said, hey, come out and see my biomass facility. Come over and come over and see how we're doing our charging system with these electric cars. Or, hey, come out to see, you know, how we're using our landfill gas to generate electricity. And I'll go out, I'll see these things, I'll go to a university, I'll go to their lab, and I'll see these ideas. And, uh, you know, obviously the utility has a lot of expertise at what they do. And, you know, over time you begin to you know, you begin to see some trends and some patterns, and you talk to enough people, you know what they like and don't like, and hopefully you're nimble enough to move with them and change as you move forward. So, Tim, I'd love to get your thoughts on on kind of a, a contentious issue in the regulatory sphere, which is, you know, how do we move, you know, utilities have had a century of being told, you do three things, be safe in your operations, deliver a reliable service, and keep it affordable for everyone. And so you mentioned earlier um, in our conversation here how, you know, the power company really, they do care. They're consumer-centric. They, they want to help solve problems. And a lot of utilities are being asked, be more consumer-centric. And people are asking for more from their utilities, whether it's clean energy or EV charging or whatever. And it's not in the traditional, you know, kind of sphere of what they've been asked to do. As a regulator, how do you think about managing that kind of tension between, you know, you've always been asked to do this and, and safe, clean, uh, safe, reliable, affordable is still important, but you got to do this other stuff. How do you how do you manage that? Yeah, I look for trends in comments from people. If 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 a lot of people are asking for something, I'll give you an example. The convenient fees surrounding uh, paying at a Walmart, Dollar General, Kroger, Publix for your utility bill. Mm -hmm. It's a dollar fifty per transaction when you do it. And we have millions of those transactions. And people, particularly low-income people, uh, were having to pay that. And I was getting a lot of complaints that how can we live in, you know, in the – 21st century here with everything automated and everything online and still be charging a convenience fee versus okay something that that has that much demand for it uh, of, of reducing it to zero which which we're doing mm -hmm. versus you know somebody that says well you need to change the billing cycle from you know from 23 days to 27 days or uh, some kind of small tiny change that only one or two or ten people are asking for or maybe someone that's wanting a service from the utility that would cost a lot to do and no one's really asking for it so sure. i'm looking for i'm looking for uh metadata uh, that where, where people are 
a lot of people are asking for one thing, and I want to make those kind of changes to satisfy that large group of people and really get a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak. Yeah. Well, let's keep talking about some of the questions that we're asked. Uh, I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. Our show's at Matters Radio. And I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. And we would love to have you uh, send your questions on Twitter. You can just go to Matters Radio, post your question, and we'll talk about it in an episode, and we'll give you credit for it. So stick around. We're going to continue talking about energy, lessons learned from projects that we're working on. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. They're dedicated to energy solutions for both your home and business. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure their clients receive the highest quality of solar energy systems in the industry. Contact CSUSA today at 770-485-7438 or go to creativesolarusa.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Georgia Solar Association. This half hour of Energy Matters is sponsored by Georgia Solar. Georgia Solar helps benefit Georgia's energy consumers by advocating for solar power in Georgia. The organization does this by helping to inform local and state leaders about the kinds of policies that make the benefits of solar accessible to all. This advocacy supports investment and local economic growth that keeps Georgia's economy strong. Yeah, and thanks to those guys at Georgia Solar for uh, for all they do for the state. They've been at it for a long time. I'm a member. And I go to a lot of their events. And you know, I'm, I'm on the board there. You're on the board now? I am indeed. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so excited to hear that. I didn't know that. I and mean, We've just had a number of people cycle through leadership there, and I just feel like every year the organization's gaining strength and stature and influence. Yep. It's It's been a fun ride. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. We have a couple of sponsors on our show as well that are members. We've got Solar Sun World, which is a uh, a German-owned company down out of Eatonton, and then Creative Solar USA. Uh, They're the ones who put the solar on top of my roof. Yeah, Creative Solar USA. Creative Solar, yeah. Uh, so if you're looking for rooftop solar, we do recommend uh, both of those companies, Solar Sun World and Creative Solar USA, and uh, you can you can just Google them and find them. Of course, Velo Solar is doing large-scale stuff, and they're one of our sponsors as well. Lots of good members over there at Georgia Solar. You really can't go wrong. Well, we've got some other questions that we've been uh, talking about uh, in, in in the first half of our show. Uh, Casey, some additional questions that we can uh, kind of dive into? Sure. So, um you know, one of the things that uh, I work with a lot of utilities, and I know you're always looking for, for you know, sort of new ideas and kind of what's happening out there. What are other states doing around energy that we can learn from here in Georgia? You know, certainly states like California, uh, they've in, in some ways gotten themselves into uh, a pickle, as my grandmother used to say, uh, because they have added a lot of solar. They've created this duck curve uh, dynamic and you can just google duck curve like quack quack duck and you can kind of see what their situation is Casey maybe you can just explain the duck curve dynamic and and why it's causing California to really need to use batteries sure so basically the idea is that uh, the amount of electricity that gets used varies throughout the day so think about in your own home Overnight, you're not using a whole lot of electricity usually. You wake up in the morning, you flip on some lights, you maybe you know, you're know micro- microwaving some breakfast, you're starting to use electricity. Then you go to work and you're not using so much, but your office is using electricity, right? Um, and then you get home and you cook dinner. Again, you're using electricity. And then you turn off the lights and go to bed. So the amount of electricity that you're using varies throughout the day. And when you add all of those loads together, all the houses, all the businesses, all the radio stations, um, you see uh, something that looks like kind of a, a mountain or a hill, right? That, you know, overnight it's fairly low electricity use. It goes up during the day, goes down uh, again into the evening hours. 
Well, what California's done, they put a ton of solar on their grid out there. When does solar produce energy? Yeah, uh, starting probably 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning up until the sun goes down in California. Yeah, maybe 3 o'clock is when it starts to decline. And then uh, so what happens is that that solar takes out that big chunk in the middle of the day when people are using electricity. Sounds good, right? Well, the, the issue is that when the sun starts to go down in California, people are starting to go home. And so the amount of production is going down as the amount of demand is going up. And so all of a sudden, you've got to ramp up power plants to meet that demand. And if you don't do that, the lights go off. And so what batteries are great for out there, right, is that instead of having to ramp up a gas plant really fast, you can ramp it up a little bit slower and you can use the battery to kind of fill that gap and make sure that everyone's lights stay on. That battery is... It's helping extend the life of those solar panels in a way. It is, yeah. It's taking that solar power production from the middle of the day when it it may not be needed as much to later on in the evening when people are coming home and it is needed. If power plants are having to ramp down during the day because there's so much distributed generation or solar out there working, how does that impact the utility or the energy company's value proposition or their business model? Well, it certainly impacts the amount of um, sort of financial return that they get on those generation assets, um, particularly in markets that are different from Georgia's where um, different people own the generation than deliver it, right? Um, They get paid by the amount of energy that they deliver onto the grid. And so if they're not delivering energy onto the grid, they're not getting paid. There are some nuances in that, but by and large, that's that's the case, right? And so all of a sudden, you might have a power plant that was economic because it was running more frequently and they were getting paid more frequently. Uh, it's now running less frequently. They're getting paid less frequently, but they still have to staff it. They still have to you know, buy the fuel or buy the capacity to get you know, gas in or whatever, and it may not be economically vi- viable any longer. And those markets, as, as they're called, in some instances – because maybe there's a lot of wind power or a, a lot of solar, those expensive nuclear power plants that were the cheapest at one time to mm-hmm. run, all of a sudden now it's not as cost effective to run those. And some of those nuclear power plants have actually closed and there's been really no reason for them to close other than economic. Absolutely. And, you know, I am not a big fan of nuclear power, particular new nuclear power, but there is no reason for us to be shutting down existing nuclear plants. Um, it's carbon-free energy. It's, what, about 20% of the nation's generation mix. Um, you know, if we're shutting down nuclear plants and replacing that with gas, that is a step backwards, in my opinion. And that and that and that has happened in, in Massachusetts with the Pilgrim plant, mm-hmm. in Vermont with the Vermont Yankee plant. In Georgia, um, you know, we we're we're building new nuclear energy at Plant Vogel, and I the think the only we, one in the country, right? It's the only one in the country, and I think if we had it to do over again, uh, knowing what natural gas prices are and how cheap it is, I don't think our commission would have ever approved it to go forward because it just wouldn't uh, the math wouldn't have worked out. Mm-hmm. But at the time the commission approved it, natural gas was expensive; uh, it was double, at least double what it is now, and so. The commission decided to do it. We launched into it, and all of a sudden we found ourselves with a Fukushima happening in 2012 and then Westinghouse going bankrupt, and it's just been one difficult situation after another. We're in this dilemma. South Carolina was building a project. They canceled theirs. We kept going, but it's unfortunate that our ratepayers are the tip of the spear. They're paying the learning curve for this. I I would much prefer a model of having like the U.S. Navy that really is a superior institution for using nuclear technology. They Mm -hmm. have submarines, battleships, aircraft aircraft carriers. carriers. Those aircraft carriers have four nuclear reactors on them. And uh, I would much prefer us to have a model in our country where – the you know the maybe the Department of Energy tasked the Navy with developing uh, a you know a small modular reactor or uh, some kind of fusion reactor or something like that. Let them develop it and run their military hardware on it, and then commercialize it and that we use it out in the commercial sector later. Well, there's certainly a history for that, right? I mean, you look at at you know something like the internet, right? Came out of a military application. Yeah, satellites. Satellites, same thing. Yeah, satellites, and really the nuclear energy program that we have came out of the came out of uh, the the Navy, right? Uh, And so I think there is is a history for that, and certainly, you know, in Georgia, 
you know, I, I will be excited when we finish up with the Vogel project, when it's working. I've seen the reactors in China, uh, or at least one set of the reactors. I went over to Haiyang, uh, not at state expense, uh, you know, to see these. I do believe it's possible. I think we will finish them. I think it will be done. It will be a good thing. And Casey, certainly the value proposition for these reactors will even be better if there's a carbon tax in the future, which I don't advocate for, but certainly if there is, and I do think it will eventually happen from some administration and some Congress when, they, when they're perfectly aligned, so to speak, and Georgia will be, will be better off because we've got this carbon-free baseload generation hopefully working in, in, in tandem with our solar, with our batteries, and the other plants that we well, have. And what's interesting, too, is with, with natural gas, I think there is a potential challenge there down the road economically, not only from a carbon tax, um, but also because we produce way more natural gas than we can use. And our price for natural gas um, is much lower than it is elsewhere in the world. Uh, and so if we get more export capability online, we're going to see a little bit of a normalization to the rest of the world prices of natural gas. And by the way, natural gas tends to be pretty volatile. So there's some economic risk to the the generating units that are based on natural gas um, that that you don't have with something like nuclear or solar. Um, I am curious, one of the things that, that I've seen has been um, some new uh, technologies using some of the curtailed solar in California. So when they tell the solar plants in California, hey, turn off because we've got too much solar, um, there are folks using that for electrolysis to make hydrogen, for instance, or to run other energy intensive industries. Do you see that as something that Georgia could benefit from down the road with our solar development, with the additional capacity of the Vogel 3 and 4? You know, I think if it was a kind of a, a, a joint effort, a partnership, so to speak, that let's say that solar was behind the meter. Um, and they were running, say, a data center mm -hmm. or something like that, let's say for a Microsoft or a Facebook uh, or a Google. And and those companies uh, often have other ventures that they're investing in. Mm -hmm. uh, you think think of Amazon and right. owning Whole Foods. So if that, that kind of Silicon Valley company had – a, some, a facility like you're talking about there that was involved in, if it was on the coast, desalination or, you know, uh, or making, you were saying, hydrogen right. uh, yeah. Yeah, and for a fuel cell vehicle or, or something like that, I, I think it would work fantastic. Uh, and I think there are companies out there that kind of have a vision like that. And I know Bill Gates is investing in, uh, in new nuclear new nuclear technology and micro a kind of a micro reactor so you know we'll we'll see if any any other companies you know decide to do that and nuclear energy certainly is uh is is something a lot of california-based companies are trying to get away from yeah uh, they're not interested in that or natural gas yeah so they're moving into into really just just renewables wind solar batteries fuel cells things like that well when we come back we want to continue uh, to discuss uh, energy questions stick around i'm at tim eccles casey you're i'm at, at casey boyce and our shows at matters radio uh you're listening to energy matters we'll be right back Tim Eccles here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over Georgia. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. The folks there understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll unpack it all. They've been in business for over 25 years. To find out more, go to SolarSunWorld.com. That's SolarSunWorld.com. Hey, it's Commissioner Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. I want to tell you about Kevin Rowe and Rowe Insulating Company. If you need insulation anywhere within 60 miles of Athens, Georgia, you need to call 706-795-2854. It's important, isn't it, John? It's, it is the most important thing you can do in your house. It's the low-hanging fruit of everything that we talk about on Energy right. Matters every single week. That's exactly right. Yeah, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Rowe Insulating Company. Get comfortable. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. 
Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host. Hope you are learning from uh, our guest and all the topics that we talk about. You can get any back episode by just going to WGAURadio.com, and you can just click on demand up in the top bar, and you'll see Energy Matters there. My co-host today, Casey Boyce. Casey, just refresh our audience's memory about where you work and what you do. Sure. Uh, so glad to be here, Tim. I'm a little terrified because I'm co-host and guest today, but, but we're making it work. <laughs> um, but I work at a company called Escalant, which is a human behavior and analytics firm. We basically uh, go out and talk to consumers and understand what's driving them, how they interact with companies. I uh, work particularly with energy utilities and help them understand uh, the kinds of folks that are listening to the show. And hopefully this research and this data helps companies create products that better serve their customers, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We're all about helping companies uh, do customer experience better. And so that includes everything from, you know, customer service, the traditional, you've got a problem, you call it, gets solved, to developing innovative new products that help you solve problems that you may not know that you have in your life. You know, as I think about products in my life that I use, uh, like my grill, for example, I, I cook out a lot. I don't cover my grill on the back. It sits out there in the weather. I'm just too lazy to buy a $100 cover. But I do buy my grills at Sears, and I buy the warranty as long as the warranty time will allow. So it's a six-year warranty. And Sears, normally on my grills, in a six-year period, they will rebuild that thing about every year and a half. Wow. They come in You're there. your values. Uh, yeah. Uh. And they come in, they, re- they replace the burners. They're, uh, they're replacing the igniter, you know, the temperature gauge, and I'm getting my money's worth. So I like dealing with, <laughs> you know, with Sears on things like that. I love my Bank of America app that I can just take a photo of checks. Uh, I love dealerships that have nice waiting rooms with fast internet uh, and coffee with half and half where I can go and sit there and I can work. Dealerships like Hayward Allen, one of the sponsors of, of our show where I've gotten a couple of Priuses. These customer experiences and things that would cause me to remember this is why I like doing business here this can transfer to any company, can Absolutely. It? In our big study that I run, um, we talk about moving away from satisfaction, which means that your customers don't mind doing business with you, and towards engagement, which means your customers want to do business with you, exactly like you're talking about. And for me as an elected official, I kind of view the way that I get along with voters as a kind of a customer service, customer satisfaction experience, right? I want... I want my, quote, voters to to feel like, hey, I can reach him when I need to. He responds. Uh, he, he tries to help me. He apologizes if he can't. Uh, I want people to uh, almost view me as one of their products, so to speak, and that, that, that they get that, – that they're getting – a high degree of customer satisfaction. I know that's a little crass to view it like that, but I think in this very consumer-centric world, people expect uh, high-quality service from things that they're dealing with. Absolutely, and I think that's that bar has been raised really across the board. You use some examples. Banking, right, is a key one. They they really have driven a lot of consumer expectations. Um, but, you know, I think we were going to talk about the fact that, uh, and this is no surprise to anyone who, who knows anyone else, that people are different. Yeah, that's what's, right. What's important for everyone is not important for someone else, right? And, and sometimes it's hard for a consumer to put themselves in someone else's shoes, right? They call me and they're, they're complaining about the lack of technology or the lack of renewable energy or, uh, or the lack of uh, a, a variety of different billing processes. And they're, they're you know, th- this is what they want and what they need. And a- as I look at all of these customers out there, you can put them in four or five different just general buckets. Yeah. You know, and you've done some research on that as well as other organizations based in the Atlanta area. What have you discovered? Yeah. So, you know, what what this process that you're talking about is called segmentation, right? And, and so the idea is that there are groups of people that largely uh, share similar characteristics. And it could be similar demographics, you know, educational attainment, things like that. Or it could be similar ways of looking at the world, right? And so I think that's, you know, what we're going to talk about here. Um, and, and there's an organization uh, based out of Atlanta called the Smart Energy Consumer Collaborative, which has done quite a bit of, of work on consumer segmentation to help the utility industry really understand hey, customers are different, and the way that you interact with them and the way that they want to interact with you 
is different. Uh, so, um, you know, we can talk about, uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know, there's a, a category of, of customers and we found it to be about 10%, give or take, where you where you are around the country, um, of people who are really driven by the environmental outcomes of their purchasing decisions. And so as it relates to, to energy and utilities, they're looking for what kind of technology can you offer me that's going to allow me to live more sustainably, right? I mean, it, it was it's in the tagline of the show, right? How do we live more sustainably? And uh, what sorts of things like solar or green rate, um, renewable natural gas, uh, EV charging, natural gas vehicles? You've driven one of those, haven't you, Tim? Yeah, I've had a, a Honda Civic 1999 model, drove it a couple of years, tried to get Athens to put a pump in, didn't. I finally just advertised it on Craigslist, and a guy came in on a Greyhound bus. Uh, from Oklahoma and bought it and drove it back because it was only a dollar a gallon for the fuel out there. <laughs> That's so, incredible. But actually, I think I paid thirty five hundred for the vehicle. I mean, it's just a you know it had air condition, but it and, and power locked. But that was it. Uh, and then I sold it for four thousand. I drove it two years, sold it for. 4, That's a pretty 000, good deal. So I made four hundred bucks on. Wow, nice work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, folks like that, right? That are looking for that kind of technology of how do they live more sustainably. Yeah, I, I've run into a lot of these people. One of the things that I'm that I've kind of pushed the power company to do, and we're not getting a lot of takers on this, is the community solar program, where you would buy a block of energy, a panel or a kilowatt of energy at the solar plant. It's a real plant. We have three of them: one in Comer, Georgia, not too far from Athens; one in in Savannah, Effingham County, and then one in Augusta. Mm-hmm. And so you could subscribe to call it a block. Of, of energy and however that energy block performs less than administrative fee you get it credited back on your bill mm-hmm. so you pay twenty four ninety nine for the block and maybe you get back 20 and so for these kind of sustainability customers you would think that would be something they would be interested in but i don't know whether it's a marketing issue or why we're not getting a lot of takers on this or maybe they don't feel that that this is genuine that it's really not theirs and that somehow we haven't given them that personal connection that you're making this happen. Yeah, so I I think there's a couple of things going on with that. I mean, one, uh, in general, community solar is a great idea for folks who can't put solar on their roof, whether you've got trees that block your roof, your roof is too old, you're renting, whatever the case may be, right? It's They're great programs. Um, I think there is a little bit of skepticism of, you know, what is, you know, is this real, right? Or is the utility trying to fleece me? Um, I think there is also, you know, as I just mentioned, you know, uh, uh, relatively small segment of consumers who are going to go out of their way to, to participate in something like that. And I think the third piece is that there is a mismatch between the media narrative, which is, um, you know, solar prices have come way down. Solar is insanely cheap. And the pricing of a lot of these utility programs, which is at a premium, right? And so customers are saying, wait a minute, I'm hearing that this is less expensive than you know, what I should be paying. Why are you asking me to pay more? So I think there's a, a number of things that kind of go into that. Um, and, and it's really a go-to-market problem for the utilities. Yeah, and I think we've got to, we, we've got to fix it. So as you seek out customers' uh, opinions on things, I would love to have you quiz them about that if they have a community solar project in their area, how much understanding they have about it. What Certainly. about... Um, what about the tech-savvy customer? Yeah, so there's another group of customers that uh, are very into technology, um, just for technology's sake, right? So it's not necessarily something that helps them live a more sustainable life. They like the new and the cool. Um, and, you know, those those customers uh, on the energy front, they're a lot of the early Tesla adopters. Um, this is new and cool, and, you know, I, I really want to experience this technology and show others uh, about it. And they're really kind of waiting t- for the utility to show them what's new and cool, right? What should I be looking at? Um, and in some cases, facilitate uh, their adoption of those technologies. What about the customer that, that, that we've been getting to move over to the prepay system? A lot of low-income customers, they were really behind in their bills, and the prepay system allowed them to take all of that deposit that they had and apply it to their bill and begin to just pay anytime they wanted to, 
uh, at, at a Walmart, a Dollar General, what category would the prepay customer fit in? Yeah, so there's there's kind of a couple of different um, categories that they could fit into. I, I think there is a group of customers that is simply looking to you know pay as little as they can uh, on their energy bill, and so they're looking for anything that helps them meet that goal, whether it's a, a prepay that you know gives them immediate tabs on their energy usage. And I, you probably have more uh, recent figures, but I think I've seen something 10, 12% reduction in energy use for those yeah, folks it's 11%, who are on the, 11, the okay, yeah. 60,000, 62,000 yeah. Georgia Power customers. So, I mean, it does save money uh, from that aspect in addition to allowing them control over how much they're spending and when. Um, uh, that also extends to things like energy efficiency programs, right? I mean, to the extent that uh, the utility can help um, people who either can't front the money or can uh, get uh, their house more well insulated or you know put more energy efficient lights or appliances or things like that in um, that's going to resonate with those folks um, the other category that that um, those prepay customers might fit into uh, is there's a, a large number in Georgia and across the country of consumers for whom energy is a, a real financial burden right and so um, they're having to make uh, real-time choices about do I pay my bill and keep my lights on or do I put food on the table? Um, and and that's a really tough place to be in. And I know that you've talked on on the program before about some of the programs, um, you know, that the Salvation Army runs, for instance, to help folks out uh, uh, with that. But you know, there are utility programs that can help uh, people who are in that situation as well. Yeah, programs like uh, Project Share, uh, the Salvation exactly, Army. You hear yeah. that ad every week. The Salvation Army has, as well as a program called Heat H E A T here in Georgia that provides heating assistance. And of course we have federal programs like the LIHE program and others as we try to help folks be able to get through this difficult time maybe in their life when they don't have as much money as they need. Well, it's been a great, great having you on the show today, Casey. It's been a lot of fun, Tim. Done a great job. I'm Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters. Have a great rest of the day. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the Project Share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.